Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining, and welcome to our first Sunday Lectio of this Lenten season. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. I am joined by Father Gregory Pine and Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. Welcome to the two of you. Uh, it's a great blessing to have Father Gregory with us in his, his new CPA office. Uh, <laughs> so he's dropped out of his doctoral program and has become a certified public accountant. So if you're checking that out on YouTube, you can see all his degrees hanging behind him. But anyways, why don't you <laughs> Fake news. Say, say hello? Uh, so glad to be with you. And uh, I'm here visiting my family. And um, I figured I'd take my father's basement office for the occasion, and there prominently displayed are all of my accounting accolades. So uh, thank you very much for all the support that you've given to me in my study of accounting. I feel very much buoyed up by it, and now I feel like I've really been prepared for my mission in the church, which is to be an accountant. So thank you. That's great. Father Patrick, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> well, uh, my life is a lot better than accounting and accountancy, so... Peace and goodwill to all the accountants out there. Um, I suppose it's Lent, so we are thinking about tithing among other things. That's yeah. the only connection I can uh, make to accountancy. <laughs> because I don't pay taxes, I don't know when tax season is, but it also it's getting close to tax season. Is that right? It is. I don't know. So yeah, corporate tax, March 15th, personal tax, April 15th, but it's COVID, so I'm sure the extension will be made for like, you know, 18 months. So you're fine. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> Okay, so now that we've we've gotten back into another penitential season, uh, we're going to pick back up with our Sunday lexios for you to walk through the Sunday readings. Um, I think when we started this last year, which is hard to believe, the idea was to give you all, all of our listeners, a chance to meditate on the readings, a chance to sort of walk through our own sort of lexio um, as so many churches were shut down. It's been a year, COVID is still a real thing, but maybe you're getting back to Mass, but perhaps these, uh, these lexio... Uh, episodes can still help you to dive more deeply into the scriptures and into the Sunday readings. So we're we're going to carry on with them for you all. Um, so we'll start this week, the first Sunday of Lent, with the Collect, and, and then we'll dive right into the prayer. So, uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant, Almighty God, through the yearly observances of Holy Lent, that we may grow in understanding of the riches hidden in Christ, and by worthy conduct pursue their effects. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The first reading is taken from the book of Genesis. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, See, I am now establishing my covenant with you, and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, all the birds and the various tame and wild animals that were with you and came out of the ark. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all bodily creatures be destroyed by the waters of a flood. There shall not be another flood to devastate the earth. God added, This is the sign that I am giving for all ages to come of the covenant between me and you and every living creature with you. I set my bow in the clouds to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will recall the covenant I have made between me and you and all living beings, so that the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all mortal beings. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. This is an often overlooked but um, very profound moment in Scripture because this is the first moment where we have God inaugurating a, a formal promise with his people or with Noah, um, the great ancestor of his people. It's God making um, something richer than a promise. Um, it's God opening up his divine providence and uh, asserting that he will always be there. So a covenant is a is a kind of absolute giving of God. Um, it's something with total fidelity and openness of God's um, steadfast love of his, of his mercy to his people. Um, in our tradition, we understand that there are more uh, five covenants, you know, at, le at least on, on this account, um, that there's this first covenant with Noah, and these are all beyond the covenants beyond the first covenant of creation. One could argue that, that, that that's a covenant. But for our purposes here, we have this first covenant made with Noah, then a covenant made with Abraham, and then God makes a covenant with Moses, and then a covenant with David about kingship and David's kingdom. And finally, the fifth covenant is the, the new covenant, the promise of Christ. So we see in this moment, we see God initiating a kind of relationship, a, a new way of being for and with and toward his people um, that, that is, again, this, this um, assuredness of God's presence and protection. And we see how this evolves and is in, enriched, um, how the Noahide covenant is involved and enriched by these subsequent series of promises. So it's important to understand Noah as the first in this great line of um, promise um, of of covenant between God and His people. Okay, so that's the that's the first thing that I want to offer in our reflection on this on this first reading. Um, the second thing is to point out that God not only promises um, to not use water for ill, if that makes sense. So God in this covenant says, "I will I will no longer destroy um, all living things with water." In the new covenant, water becomes the means of salvation. So whereas before water was a, a, kinds of, a kind of cleansing and destructive thing. Um, in the New Covenant, the water which cleanses gives life. Um, so not only does water continue its role of purifying, but water becomes uh, in, uh, more enriching the sign because water is the means of us entering into the New Covenant uh, by virtue of our holy baptism. So we see in uh, baptism in the New Covenant a full um, closure, a full revelation, a full complement, a fuller understanding of what that first covenant God made with Noah, um, what it was meant to be and what it truly is. I think to um, draw out some of the points that Father Patrick was just making regarding the covenant, covenant is is important, um, especially as we're getting into the weeks of Lent. You know, at the beginning of the Lenten season, it can seem like Easter is far off in those 40, 40 days and, and then and Holy Week I don't know. They can not seem overwhelming, but it just seems like a long haul for us to for us to take. And um, what our Lord is doing in establishing the covenant uh, is is not simply establishing it and just sort of letting it lie as a sort of dead reality. But if we look through the through the Old Testament, through the prophets, through the kings, um, through through all of salvation history, our Lord time and again refers back to this covenant. Whenever the prophets call people back to conversion and relationship with, with God, it's always back to the covenant, to their covenant fidelity, um, that God's promises are living and true and unwavering, um, and that in order to find our happiness, fulfillment, salvation, it's that, that requires our um, fidelity to that covenant. And I think for us that that uh, ought to remind us of God's love 
as we head into as we continue to head into Lent, but also ought to enkindle um, enkindle in us a bit of hope. Uh, and, and growth in the virtue of hope that through the Lenten season, it's true that, you know, penances might be tough. Uh, it might be kind of, uh, a, I don't know, kind of a bad time of year for weather, February weather, March weather kind of continues. It's kind of kind of gloomy. But through that gloom, uh, the covenant stands strong. The covenant stands out. And um, it's, it's not in the sort of uh, the practices of Lent in which we hope, but in the in the promises of the resurrection that's supposed to come. So I, I think uh, this reading from Genesis uh, offers that to us, offers us a moment as we're as we're walking into the season to remember that the season isn't the end, but the resurrection is the end. The promises of God are the end. So sometimes maybe to complement our typical theistic or contemplative read on the scriptures, it can be helpful to supplement with a kind of skeptical read. And you're like, wait a second, is Father Gregory encouraging skepticism? No. Uh, but in the sense of how would this text sound to somebody who wasn't accustomed to the covenant history, which Father Patrick describes, um, to the kind of consoling story of grace, which Father Jacob Bertrand describes, how would somebody approach this text? And you have God, you know, saying, I'm not going to wipe you from the face of the earth ever again. But then you're like, okay, that's sounds good, I guess, but like, why is there the threat of being wiped from the face of the earth in the first place? Um, I suspect that the unsympathetic atheistic reader would find this like a little bit abusive, like um, God is a strange captor and he keeps us, you know, in his throes so that what? He can manipulate us. And I think here there's uh, just a small metaphysical point which can clarify for us what we're owed, as it were. Uh, and the answer to that is, I mean, it's simple. We're, we're owed nothing. Um, St. Thomas has a way of describing the human person as returnable to nothing. Um, Frank Sheed, when describing the act of creation, he says, if you picture like a normal artisan making something, say you have a guy, you know, carpenter who makes a chair, and then let's say that he leaves the room, that chair continues to be by virtue of that from which it was made. So there's still wood, you know, so it goes on being a chair because the wood's there to support it. He says, now, in our case, <laughs> we were made from nothing. And as a result of which, if God were to, quote unquote, leave the room, we would return thereunto. And I don't bring that up so that way we can feel all nervous, you know, like as you constantly grip the edges of your desk, lest you be returned to the void. But just to show simply that that it's all founded on mercy, right? It's all founded on a first gift, which is the way that Joseph Pieper, the 20th century philosopher, would refer to the act of creation. It's, it's the first gift. And so the Lord doesn't really owe us our continued existence, but he, he owes it to himself in a certain way. Uh, he owes to himself to be consistent, and he owes to himself to be who he is, who is good and who is merciful. So if you read this text, and sometimes you're struck by the fact that, that some of the language, some of the idiom of the Old Testament can sound a little bit raw, recall that what's being communicated are these deeper spiritual truths, these deeper truths of the faith, and ultimately it ought to lead us back to a disposition of worshiping the Lord who is merciful, who is good, and who has loved us into creation. All right, Father Patrick's going to take us into the second reading. A reading from the first letter of Peter. Beloved, Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit. In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient, while God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. This prefigured baptism which saves you now it is not a removal of dirt from the body, but a, an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven 
and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When Father Patrick was drawing out the the covenant themes of the Old Testament and and then the, that fifth covenant of the of the New Testament baptism, we see this come alive in in the reading that we just heard. Uh, and in a way, uh, what what Saint uh, Saint Peter does for us is give us a sort of beginning and an end um, in the new covenant, uh, the end in the resurrection of Christ, but the beginning through baptism. Uh, and obviously we heard the connection between um, the baptism uh, or between baptism in the new covenant and, and the cleansing of the waters of Noah in the old covenant. So uh, I think it's important to dwell a bit on on what it is that baptism is. And, and two things stand out. I guess one thing stands out, but there are two parts of it. In in the rite of baptism, um, in the rite of baptism, when a baby or is baptized, um, or anybody really, there are two two occurrences uh, when when that person is, is anointed. First, before the baptism with the oil of catechumens, and then immediately after the baptism proper with, with, the, with the sacred chrism. Um, and the words there, I think, are, are super apropos, if that's a proper turn of phrase. I don't know. Maybe it is. But super don't apropos. Don't ask, Gregory. Don't <laughs> ask. I won't. Yeah. Uh, for the season of Lent. Um, so listen to the first ones real quick. This is before, immediately before uh, the person is baptized. The priest says this as he anoints the chest of the one to be baptized. Uh, we anoint you with the oil of salvation in the name of Christ our Savior. May he strengthen you with his power who lives and reigns forever and ever. Uh, so heading into this life of a Christian, we were anointed, or the life, the Christian life, we're anointed so as to be strengthened with the power of Christ. And how appropriate for the season of Lent, that as, we, as we're beginning the season of Lent, to recall uh, the graces of our baptism to be strengthened in this time of purification. The second anointing, as I mentioned, comes after, and here the, the person who has been baptized is anointed on the head with the sacred chrism. Um, and this oil, when, uh, when the anointing happens with this oil, the priest says, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has freed you from sin, given you a new birth by water and the Holy Spirit, and welcomed you into his holy people. He now anoints you with the chrism of salvation. As Christ was anointed priest, prophet, and king, so may you live always as a member of his body, sharing everlasting life. As one is baptized and welcomed into the family of Christ, one also shares in the life of Christ as priest, prophet, and king. And the whole purpose of the Christian life, the whole purpose of Lent, even as, as sort of a microcosm of the Christian life, is to, um, is to be conformed to him as priest, prophet, and king, to share in, in his life and to share everlasting life. So as we're thinking about baptism and as we're thinking about Lent, um, it's appropriate to recall upon the graces of our baptism and to ask for those graces to be strengthened and enlivened in us uh, so as to live with everlasting life, in everlasting life with, with God. So just listening to Father Jacob Bertrand's uh, comments there about the anointings, it brings to mind some of the cultic dimensions of our sacramental practice. And maybe when we hear that word cultic, we think, yikes, you know, that's like a little... Uh, Aztec or Incan or, you know, it just kind of conjures raw images of religion that's yeah, ooh, involves like blood and things like that. But I think that um, there is, there are dimensions of that in the Christian faith. Um, I recall having read Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis and there's a, uh, there's a temple with a cult of a particular god and uh, in that cult animals are sacrificed and the main character refers to it as having 
the unjit smell, unjit being the name of the goddess that inhabits the temple. It's a holy smell. It's a smell of death. And, and what this reading brings into focus is the fact that, that baptism has this kind of cultic dimension. It has this element of religion that, that, that has a smell of, of sacrifice, right? Uh, not in a bloody manner, because Christ did that once for all, but in a way that commemorates um, you know, the, the, the manner of his sacrifice. So it's common in the New Testament to talk about baptism in terms of death, both in Colossians and in Romans. There's this sense that when we descend into the waters with the Lord, we're buried with him. You know, we die with him. The old man dies, and the one who rises from the water is born anew, is born into a resurrected life. So, um, for us, rather than, you know, kind of thinking of our religion as just a mere matter of being nice or being kind or following the rules well, it's ultimately about sacrifice, and we're initiated into that by baptism. Like, we have life because there's death in the water. Mm. A few winters ago, some of us were sitting around a fireplace, and uh, one friar, I will not say who, it was Father Leo Chekai. Leo <laughs> Check guy who <laughs> <laughs> has a device, um, and it was sort of a, sort of a long tube, and um, he could blow on the on the fire and uh, really bring it to life. Um, so, so he's blowing away on this thing, and this fire is shooting out of the fireplace. I mean, at the risk of burning down the priory here at Providence College. And another friar turns to him and says, "Leo, is that really necessary?" And Father Leo says. The world is unnecessary, <laughs> and continues to to blow and stoke the fire. Uh, I I mentioned this anecdote to continue to elaborate on Father Gregory's metaphysical point that he was making uh, on the first reading. Uh, what is owed to creation, um, and the reason the reason that this point about the world being unnecessary, strictly speaking, you know, certainly with respect to us. Um, this point is so important to understand because it magnifies the goodness of what Christ has done by redeeming us. So not only not only is there, strictly speaking, um, nothing owed to us by the mere fact of having been created, uh, once fallen, we are not owed redemption. And the fact that Christ suffers for our sins to set things aright um, becomes all the more magnificent when viewed through this metaphysical lens. Um, so the fact that Christ suffered once for all has so much more meaning than, oh yeah, Jesus did a thing for us. You know, like, it's nice when people do a thing. Um, but the fact that this thing was totally, absolutely, completely, in every respect, unnecessary makes that thing so much more magnificent. With that, then we will we'll move over to the gospel for the first Sunday of Lent, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for forty days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Not too long ago, I was reading St. Thomas Aquinas' commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. The text that we just heard from the Gospel of Mark follows his recounting of the baptism. So, in Mark, it's chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and then we hear of Jesus being driven out into the wilderness and being tempted in the desert. And that corresponds basically to chapters 3 and 4 of the Gospel of Matthew. And um, it's fascinating that uh, the way that St. Thomas reads it and the way that St. Thomas describes it is kind of pedagogical in its purpose. 
So he says of the baptism and the temptation that there is an order to it. So first, Christ is robed in sacred mysteries, and then he is tested in virtues. And the idea there isn't that he needs to be robed in sacred mysteries or that he needs to be tested in virtue, but that he does it for us as instruction, as example, that he does it for us as a saving mystery. And so after having had two readings, the first and the second reading on the sacrament of baptism, right now we transition into a description of the temptation, you know, the the time spent in the desert, you might think, wow, a better Old Testament parallel of that might have been the wandering of Israel in the desert for 40 years or something like that. Why is there this connection between baptism and temptation? Well, by baptism, at our baptism, we are clothed, we are robed in sacred mysteries, as a result of which we begin to live, you know, Christ's very life in our bodies. And we we suffer the mysteries through which he himself passed during the course of his life. And then the purpose of this time of Lent, the purpose of our going out into the desert, is to be tested in virtue. Not because the Lord like doesn't trust us to be good and he has to like set subtle snares and traps to see how agile we are at avoiding them, but in the sense that he wants the grace given to us at baptism to grow. And so, in order for that grace to reach its term, to reach its perfection, we have to pass through trials, because such is the way that human nature is accustomed to pass from grace to grace and from glory to glory. So, I just love the fact that this connection between baptism and Christ's temptation in the desert and our own baptism and passing through this time of Lent is driven home for us in the the curation, the selection of the readings that make us to be robed in sacred mysteries and tested in virtue. This testing in virtue is uh, is an important reality because not yeah be, well I'll just say because it's a reality that we can't escape as human beings we live in a fallen world we live in a broken world we ourselves are fallen and that being the case we're going to uh, perhaps more often than we would like perhaps every day all the time every hour whatever it may be be faced with some sort of temptation something to draw us from um, that divine life that is given to us in baptism. Uh, the the last line here of of today's gospel repent and believe in the gospel sets the stage for everything um, that we've been talking about on this episode with these sunday readings and everything that happens in lent and everything that happens in the christian life repent and believe in the gospel i think perhaps it's a trope of mine or a trope of ours to talk about repentance and metanoia in the gospel, but I think it's worth um, bringing it up again, not uh, not because we haven't said it before, but because as the church gives us things over and again, uh, we're going to give you things over and again because they're <laughs> true and good and because we need to be reminded. But the whole gospel notion of repentance is one of turning from and a turning to, you know, turning from the life that we left behind in death and baptism and to the new life, that new covenant in, in Christ. Um, and this takes, as Father Gregory was explaining, uh, a, a sort of trial or a testing so as to grow, not as not to prove ourselves worthy to God, because as Father Patrick explained, we are unworthy and always undeserving of um, being saved. It's a completely beautiful and gratuitous gift that God offers us. But we are tested and we're drawn in into the life of virtue so as to be more perfectly conformed to Christ. And that's simply what the Christian life is about, to be conformed to Christ, to be able to be loved better, um, to be to clear out that garbage in our lives that prevents us from accepting and and being you know receiving the love and mercy of God to be conformed to Him to be fulfilled by Him. So these words these words from Mark's gospel repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, if we keep those before our mind for the season of Lent, then then we're you know we're heading in the right direction at least at least we can say that. There's a great short story by the American author John Cheever called The Swimmer. 
and it's uh, it's fiction. It's sort of fantastical, but it's about this guy that just swims across suburban swimming pools. That's all he does is he swims through the swimming pools. Uh, Father Gregory, I knew you would love this. Um, you know, it's basically if it were about jumping in the Ohio River, it would basically be about you. Story um, of my life. Uh, but the point of this story is that there's this complacency that one is lulled into and he's trying he's trying to to do something to feel something but all he can do is just kind of swim through this open-endedness of suburbia in his search for meaning and part of the call of repentance of lent means embracing the desert um and the desert allows us to feel something whereas so many other aspects of our lives just kind of lull us into complacency and comfort um christ's call to repentance is about embracing a, a real self-mastery and about denying oneself of all of the kind of pleasures that prevent us from thinking about um, real things. You know, so you can spend your life swimming from pool to pool across all of the backyards of suburbia, or you can head out to the desert and sit in the sand under the hot sun without any water, and you can feel something <laughs> this land. It's beautiful. So as we dive into these weeks of Lent, there's your options, <laughs> suburban pools or desert heat. If you're looking for a new spiritual director, Father Patrick's available. It will take about four seconds to get through each spiritual. So he has about 6,000 spiritual directees, and he's looking for about 4,000 more. And that's, that's where it'll take you, to the desert. But he's absolutely right. So uh, with that, we will uh, we'll leave you with those thoughts for this first Sunday of Lent. Uh, hopefully something to... Um, Think about in your own prayer and your own preparation for Sunday Mass, but also um, hopefully something to inspire your own reflections um, and to allow you to spend some time with the Word of God as as this Lenten season begins, as this season of penance begins. So thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Be sure to check out our regular Thursday episodes, and we'll continue with our Lexio series through the Easter season, so each week of Lent, and then all through the weeks of Easter through Pentecost. Um, Thanks. Yeah, thanks for listening. Feel free to share. Feel free to comment. Father Gregory's tried to explain how algorithms work on social media. He doesn't understand, and he's an accountant, and I don't understand. <laughs> so uh, we're never going to understand. But they do help us a lot. So thank you for your comments. Thank you for sharing. Um, feel free if you're looking for a place to give alms. We are indeed in need of alms. So check us out on our Patreon page. Check out our merchandise. We just launched that. Um, so some cool, cool stuff there, and some cool stuff to come. So. Thank you for all your support. We are certainly praying for you, especially during this seasonal event. Pray for us too. And until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.